Hi, everyone, and welcome to Out of the Gray, a podcast by Standard Imaging. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a like, and share with your friends, family, and colleagues to help these messages continue their reach. Without any further delay, let's jump into this latest conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Out of the Gray, the podcast where we discuss all things radiation oncology and medical physics. Today with me, super special guest, Dr. Roy Vongtama. Dr. Vongtama, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good, Tracy. Thank you Thanks so much. Oh yeah. my gosh. Uh, thank you for taking time out of your day. I know you're you're busy. You've got a ton going on. I'm so grateful that you were able to make time to chat with us, um, with myself and my listeners. Of course. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. If you don't mind, while we kick things off here, um, I, you've got a very interesting story. Uh, we chatted earlier today, and I've learned a little bit more about you. And it's 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 really a road that twists and turns, but I'm curious. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, so I'm a radiation oncologist, and I first got into radiation because my dad's a radiation oncologist. So I come from a family of radiation oncologists. My brother is one too, but he's younger than me, so maybe I influenced him. I don't know. But um, I also um, am an actor, so I've been doing that both professionally for 20-something years now. And I also have an interest in integrative medicine. Um, I have a strong background in meditation. I've done about 9,000 hours of meditation up till now. Um, and I'm also uh, an author, wrote a book called Healing Before You're Cured, which uses evidence-based medicine to help people heal from diseases, most especially cancer. Yeah. Wow. An amazing journey up until this point. Thanks. Absolutely. And so... I know that most of our listeners are are very familiar with um with radi- the radiation oncology side. Um sure. but the the integrative medicine can you explain to me a little bit more about what this entails and how it applies to what you do daily? Yeah, uh thank you for asking that. It's a really good question. Um I know most people here have like a physics background. So it's it's important in terms of oncology to understand integrative medicine simply because say we cure about in the United States between 1.3 to 1.6 million people a year of life-threatening cancers, um, not including dermatologic illnesses and dermatologic cancers, but that 1.5 million, we can be having a a recurrence rate that is about 33% lower if we start to include uh, integrative techniques like meditation, diet, exercise, I call them integrative because we want to integrate them with the treatment. They're not alternative. They're actually things that we should already be doing. But why aren't we doing them? Because there's no system in place. There's no reimbursement, actually. That that would probably drive it even more. But if we were to decrease that recurrence rate by using these techniques, we'd be saving an additional <clears throat> 400,000 to 600,000 people a year from cancer. So we're talking huge numbers. And I know we got a lot of uh, data data heads here. So if you think about that year to year, it's it's really, really important to understand it. And not just in terms of cancer, but even physicians, because um, I may have mentioned this earlier, when I was young, when I was 10, um, my dad had a partner and he's a radiation oncologist, my dad, and the, his partner was a physicist. And his physicist, they worked super close together. And I was 10. I didn't understand the difference between an MD and PhD. I just knew there's two doctors involved in the care. And the physicist got lung cancer. So I watched him die um, over the next few years. 
And I was just shocked at the fact that someone who cures cancer could die of it. You know, I was 10. But as I grew up and got into the field, I realized there's huge deficiencies in the way we treat cancer. And it involves what I'm talking about. We're not looking at it from a whole body perspective. We're looking at it from a cancer-only perspective. Um, so um, why do the physicists get cancer? You know, that was something I always wondered. And when I looked at our health system today, it's based on people getting sick and we get paid for people getting sick and we cure them and we treat them. We don't really um, optimize good health and balance. And so for the listeners today, I think that's my main message is that even though my platform and the work that I'm doing is involved in looking at patients with cancer and recurrence, mm -hmm. it applies to everybody. It applies to physicists, applies to therapists, to symmetrists, everybody to have balance. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we can talk a little bit today about how we can do that for our patients and for each other. Absolutely. So, and I, I hate to use the buzzwords, but is it fair to say it's a holistic approach to treatment? It sounds yeah, like, it, hol yeah. like but so much more than that too. Yeah, well, holistic is a great word, except I spell it W-H-O-L-I-S-T-I-S ah. because it's holistic in terms of everybody and your whole body, your mind, your emotions, your, your spiritual health and your physical health. So it's holistic for sure. Mm. I don't think it's a buzzword. I think it's the reality of what health should be. Yeah, I would agree. It seems like a, a, a better approach to, a, to to treat the entire being rather than just yeah. one little blob of bad cells. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think when you look at radiation oncology now, we are so able to narrow in on that little blob of bad cells, like you said, but we don't really go the other way. What we actually need to do is do both. Treat what's there, but also deal with what is outside of that in terms of everything, the environment around a patient, the environment within a patient. Those are the two areas that I think we neglect the most. Uh, so for me, when we look at that, I call my platform now that I'm developing, it's called Healing After You're Cured. And it's looking at physical and mental, emotional, spiritual health and teaching patients how to do that for themselves. Because in reality, the way it's done now is that we, <laughs> we throw hundreds of thousands of dollars of technology and drugs at people and we get them to a point where they're cured. They're, they have no cells left of cancer, but the environment that caused the cancer is the same, the way they think, the way they eat, the way they behave. And it's not from a blame standpoint though, Tracy, it's more sure. about coming from a perspective of taking control. And the book I wrote, which is called Healing Before You're Cured, is called Taking Control of Your, of your Body, Mind, and Soul Using Integrative uh, Evidence-Based Techniques. So that's another thing that I think that separates stuff um, when I teach it is because I'm only coming from an evidence-based approach. I'm not just coming with like, I'm going to send you energy and, you know, not nothing like that. It's, it's mm -hmm. basically, has this been studied? And if it's been studied, how can we use it right now, today? It's coming from a place of science. Yeah, exactly. It's so coming from a science, because I am, you know, I went to school for 26 years and I've 14 publications. So I'm well-versed in the um, uh, scientific method. So I look to apply that to this work uh, as well. 
Absolutely. So the platform, Healing After You're Cured, the book, Healing Before You're Cured. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll probably write another one just called Healing After You're Cured. Or to me, it's more about like what resonates most with people and patients. So it may have been called something different in the future, but right now I'm calling it Healing After You're Cured. Um, the, the, the platform is going to exist basically in a cost affordable way for patients. It is outside of the insurance system right now because we're just starting it. The goal would be to find a way to integrate with people's insurers so that they don't have a financial, uh, burden on them more than they already have. Uh, but I do know that people spend tons of money already on, on different things in their lives. So to prioritize it, um, on a, on a, on a, on a financial basis, I think is also really saying something to yourself saying, this is important to me. I'm going to treat this like a gym membership. I'm going to spend this money on myself to make sure that I'm balanced. And the goal in, in a specific Tracy is to help, help people prevent recurrence. But in the end, what this does really is does the two main things I think we want to do in all our lives, which is to decrease suffering and increase happiness. So that is the goal of everything that we do in our lives, right? To have more happiness and less suffering. So if you put these techniques into place, then you will have both. Undoubtedly. I think that's a great approach to achieving the, 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 optimum, the optimum in health and happiness and wellness, it seems. Yeah. So for the platform itself, you mentioned um, working with insurers and making sure that it, it becomes available to folks. If, if folks mm-hmm. are interested in seeing this, benefits from this project now, are they, mm-hmm. are they able to, to do that? How do oh, yeah. folks, well, how do folks find you? you? Yeah, well, uh, my website's mdroy.com. So there's a free content on there. We're about to launch a YouTube channel as well that will be probably called Healing After You're Cured. And if you go to the website, you can sign up on the contact page for the waiting list for the course. We're going to start with a, a pilot group, and then we're going to expand. So uh, the, the, the process will be, once we get people in, is to do just like this, like we're doing now, will be a weekly Zoom call, and then self-directed content that will pre-record, be sent to you via an app or email, mm-hmm. most likely teachable, where they can access their content. It'll involve one, I call it the houses of health. So there's something, so my partner, Julie De La Bar, she's a, a fitness expert and a nutrition expert, and she has a pretty, pretty big presence on Instagram. She'll be working, taking the lead on the physical stuff, exercises to do to create that wellness from a physical section. Um, we'll also be collaborating on the what I call the mental house, which would help people think more positively, including affirmations and things that will affect your body through your mind. And then the third thing you'll get is a, a meditation. So doing, if you look in the literature, if you do 90 minutes of meditation a week or something meditative, you find that it decreases anxiety, decreases stress, improves your immune system, but also in the cancer research, improves recurrence rates if you combine it with all these other things. Uh, and the last thing is the kind of my main specialty being that I'm an actor is the emotional house. So there's a strong link to cancer using from trauma. I don't know if you've heard that before. No. So there's things, something called trauma-informed care. Uh, the main point is to know that, though, the things that happen in your life actually do affect your immune system, do affect your health. Uh, there's a landmark study from Kaiser called ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experience Study. And they found that people who have uh, one 
to four or five of these factors that they studied in these 10 factors, if you have one to four, even that little, even just having one increases your risk of cancer. If you have three, four, five, six, then it does it even more. And it's even linked even more specifically. People with sexual trauma are more at risk for, for cervical cancer. So these things really tie in. It's evidence-based. It's not foo-foo magic. Although I, I will tell you, I just did a post on Facebook about this and they blocked it because they said it wasn't science-based. And so I tried to contest it because they were like, they're like, uh, you know, they just, it's a bot, right? So it's some algorithm sure. that took my post down. So I was like, I got to get to the human. Like, this is, this is true, you know? So I think it's funny in that way that uh, we're in an age now where there's so much misinformation. There's so much disinformation, purposeful misinformation, that even stuff that I'm saying that is a little bit on the edge gets filtered out as well. So things that are cutting edge could be considered controversial, could be considered uh, wrong or conspiratorial if you look at it in the wrong way, which is why I'm so, so rigorous about the evidence-based portion of everything. Absolutely. My goodness, a struggle just to get good information out. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised. And I, I did say something about, I did say, because my friend unfortunately passed away of a stage four renal cancer. And I was just at the funeral and I was saying how inspired I was by him and his journey and how he, really used the mental house to his, he like, he went for it, Tracy. He just would not live in any kind of negativity or victimization. And I had worked with him initially as a, as a client, and then we became really good friends. But he took my work to a whole nother level. He made his own podcast. It's mm-hmm. called With Gratitude, Matt. And after he became stage four, did 72 episodes after that to help people. And he, he just wouldn't entertain any negativity in his life. And I put that in the post and I said that contributed to his survival being longer because he was already doing the other three, three things. And I think they, they didn't like that too much uh, from the bot. But I did say something about him being a Catholic too. So maybe I did use the word Jesus. So it could be that too. I don't know. It's either one or the other. <laughs> well, some options for the bot to pull it from the algorithms right, there. Right. So I'm going to rewrite the post Twice, I think one with just the religious references and one with just my uh, uh, affirmations and mental stuff to see which one actually is the <laughs> is the culprit for the bot. But that's just me being rigorous, I guess. <laughs> just testing things, <laughs> just poking the inner verses, and <laughs> that's right. I gotta I gotta iterate. The physicists out there will understand. I'm gonna gonna run a couple trials. There to, you go. Yeah. See what it is. Well, you know, I can't blame you there. There's lots to be learned there for sure. Um, I'm so sorry for your for your loss. Thank you. Thank you. He's a good friend. And sometimes I think something we talked earlier about too is that when we're treating people to create that bond is is something that's beautiful, but also something that could be vulner, vulnerability creating, right? Absolutely. And you had mentioned earlier, there is a movement for physicists to get more involved in, in patient care and people do better if they do get involved. And I really think that's something that's important for the listeners to know is that, you know, as a radiation oncologist, I always value when a physicist wants to get more involved. And if they want to have some face time with the patient, I, I see no problem with that, especially if they understand uh, two things, really. They understand how to empathize 
and they understand that their knowledge is valuable for the patient to understand to help them know that they're being treated by experts. So I think those two things are a really powerful uh, combination coming from another doctor like me. I was 10. I thought this physicist was another physician. And in a way, he's just as important or even more important in some ways than, than the radiation oncologist. Sure. Um, yeah, undoubtedly. Such experience with firsthand with seeing the need for the field to change and grow and develop and then putting your heart and soul into doing that is admirable. Yeah, well, I think it also makes our experience better. It's more enriching. The other side I was going to say, though, is you know, when you choose to step in further with a patient's treatment or even become, you know, have a relationship outside of that, like for me with my friend Matt, it is it is dangerous in that way because you do create a possibility that the you know the patient could always the person you know we all are our our tickets are stamped that there's a hundred percent mortality in this life so sometimes these people you meet and become friends they are going to pass away while you know them sooner than they should so you have to be able to understand that process from a from a personal level and really bring that humanistic side into, into play. And, 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 and I grow a lot, for example, like with my friend, Matt, he taught me an even, an even greater level of, of practice of, of being positive and, and, and just taking that all the way. He, he really was grateful to the end of his end of his life, right to hospice. That's amazing. And then his impact is still now continuing further as the butterfly effect happens and you're impacting the lives of more patients and spreading that positivity from him. Yeah. And it's even more, even than that, like when I went to the funeral, Tracy, I met 25 or 30 people that he had told about, about my book, Healing Before You Cured. So they all had read it. And I was a guest on his podcast and they'd heard the podcast. So I didn't know any of that. I got to learn that at the funeral and I was like, whoa, okay, this work that I'm doing has a bigger impact than I think. And I'm happy for that. And, and your work on this podcast too, you don't know who's listening now and who will be changed by the conversation we're having, right? Yeah, I, I think about that often. I, I hope that there are waves of positivity that come out of it, uh, for sure. Yeah, but that's, um, cool. that's it's an amazing thing to encounter people who've been impacted um, without, your, without your knowing. And you see yeah. that you see your work in action in that way despite the unfortunate circumstances right. um, that I think is another important thing, you know, even these houses of health you mentioned, um, even for the people within our field, even for the, the physicians and the physicists and the therapists, so symmetrists, all of us, the nursing staff um, can probably utilize some of these, some of these healing techniques in our own yeah. lives as well. If I'm hearing you correctly. Yes, absolutely. You can do it right now. You want to, do you want to do something right now? I'll show you something right now. Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. So one thing that I find with people in their lives, cancer patients and therapists and everybody is like, we, we lose bandwidth really quickly because of all the other things we're doing. We come with a very limited bandwidth. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Okay. So that creates tension in the body. There's actual physical tension. Sometimes you feel it in your neck or your head or your hips or whatever. So I'm going to teach you something. I call it tense and relax. It's really simple. So you ever get in an argument with like a significant other and they say relax to you? Maybe. And you do the opposite. You, you, 
It might have happened. Right. Typically, what do you what happens when someone tells you to relax? You do the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Right. You go to more tension. Well, let's use that process against itself. So what we're going to do is create tension, and the body will automatically go to relax. So how we do that? So you can close your eyes if you want, or you don't have to. I'll close my eyes. So we're going to inhale, but when we inhale as deeply as we can, I want you to tense your face and your whole body together and then quick and then exhale. Ready? So inhale, tense the whole body, including the face, and then exhale, like a double exhale. So inhale, tense the whole body, including the face, double exhale and relax. Inhale, tense the whole body, including the face. Exhale and relax. And one more time. Inhale, tense. Exhale and relax. All right. So how do you feel? Wow, that's wild. You do feel it. You feel a whole shift in in your personal state. Yeah. So listeners, you just try it yourselves right now. It's not about believing, right? It's about experience. Yeah. If 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 it, you have an experience of healing, of a shift from tension to relaxation, doing what I just told you, then why would you stop? Yeah. It'd be it'd be a dumb experiment to try it and realize that that it works, and then you just stop it. So in the moment when you're when you're in a state or a situation where there's high tension, whether you're driving, well, if you're driving, you don't want to close your eyes, but you can audit. You can still do this anywhere. Yeah. So I have, I've taught it to people. I've seen my friends do it before auditions because I'm also an actor. They'll do it there. You know, I've gotten text people like, I did it right before the audition. It totally relaxed me. I do it a lot of times when I am, I'm in a situation where something important is going to happen. Or I just, or I need to, for me, like when I'm going to meditation, I do this often. Uh, so you're doing a couple of things. You're slowing, you're actually doing a few things. You're creating, um, tension and your body will relax, but you're also doing something with your breath, right? You're inhaling, holding, and exhaling. And that's actually used in the military. It's called combat breathing. So when you get shot, you inhale, hold, exhale, inhale in a, in a controlled way. That regulates your sympathetic nervous system from going to overdrive. So you're kicking in your parasympathetic system as well. So there's a couple of things that technique is doing. It's really simple, right? It's free. No one's getting any reimbursement money for that. But it, I think it's a powerful technique and, and people who are listening, you, you can use it whenever you want now. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much for that um, piece of advice and, and the story, the, back, the science to go behind it. Sure. It's, yeah. It's nice to have. Yeah. Don't close your eyes while driving. But <laughs> yeah. uh, once I'm you sure get some free. People are doing it, yeah, some people are doing it, listening while they're driving, I'm sure. So right. don't do it while yeah. you're driving. Do not do tense and relax when you're driving. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, but you really do. You physiologically feel a sh- I've felt a shift in my entire spine. So that's an interesting, mm. even this quickly, this that brief little interaction there uh, really does prove, you know, there's there's proof in the pudding. You can, yeah. you can tell there's a shift. Yeah. And that that's what that's I'm all about. I'm not about belief or blind faith or anything. It's about the experience. Are you changed from the things that you're doing? And if you're not, then you shouldn't do them anymore. Yeah. If they work, then you should keep doing them. So that's basically my whole 
premise. But it makes sense. And especially in our, for, you know, not only for our patients, but so it's so important for the patients that to access these calming things, especially prior to treatment, that could be a really amazing tool in a clinic before a CT sim or even for a first day of treatment, you know, to help someone relax. But um, for the staff to kind of, to know these tips and tricks, to be able to tackle the, the clinical stress every day, because it does, I mean, it's, it's there. All, all of us who've worked in the clinics have felt the days where things are stressful or things are getting out of hand or the unexpected comes and right. we're all kind of faced with those emotions in a, in a setting where kind of have to keep a brave face if you can. Right. Um, so th- these are really helpful little tips um, to, sure. to, to get through it. I think what you said is really true too about about face where you have a brave face. A lot of times, not even a brave face. It's just like kind of a stoic face, or because you're not allowed to really have your own set of emotions, right? You're there for the patient. Right. And if you ever worked with somebody who's always like having some drama in their life, you know how exhausting it is. So we don't want to impose that on people, but that creates a backlog of emotion in us. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with that when you leave work that day? You know, what do you do? You know, what do you do? I mean, a lot of people don't do anything. They go home to another battlefield, right? They go home to a family, kids, and they're right into their next thing and they don't get to rest until they get into bed that night. So if you think about that load on your system, we call it allostatic load, that that allostatic load from the day, it just impacts you over time. It creates a lot of change in your body that it's very unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not so, good to keep that all in there. Right. So we want to work against that. We want to create, we want to create a situation of I like words a lot. So we talked about holistic and there's disease, right? Disease is really dis-ease. So ah, it's yeah. it's creating that ease in your body through breathing, through the tense and relax, through exercise, through meditation, through therapy, through group support, social and social interaction, that's how we create that sense of ease in our lives, mm-hmm. right? Because what I learned from my dad, he told me something once because I was getting stressed out about something at doctoring. He said, you know what happens if you die to your patients? And I said, what? He goes, another doctor comes and takes care of them. It's not about you. It's not about your work, right? It's not you. It's it's this job and you're doing it. You have to have balance in it or else you're not going to make it all the way through. You'll go to burnout. And I'm sure a lot of people out there have experienced burnout or are experiencing it right now. Mm-hmm. So if you're not, trust me, if you haven't had burnout yet and you're working 60, 70 hours and you're not doing anything I'm talking about, you will get burnout 100%. Right? So we want to we wanna put sy- systems in place to, to deal with that beforehand. And if not beforehand, then certainly after that. And that's the goal of my platform, Healing before healing, healing After You're Cured, um, to address that for people uh, who have had cancer. Because I found they, they are fairly motivated to, to do, well, at least a percentage of them are, are motivated to, to do more, right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think there's some psychology too behind the cessation of treatment. Um, Mm -hmm. when you reach the end of, you know, there's a, there's treatment is so structured and there's, there's so much science and we're doing this step first then this step, then this step. And then that whole process ends. And a lot of people can feel lost and even Mm -hmm. distressed 
because now they're doing nothing about their disease, whereas yesterday they were actively seeking treatment for it. So putting a program like this in place could really be a lifesaver when it comes to managing the anxieties that come not only with the disease, but completing your treatment process as well. Thank you for saying that. I actually actually didn't, that's funny, Drew. I didn't think of it that way. I thought of it like they would need a break after and then do this program because they've been so structured. So I didn't even think of the opposite, which is probably true for some people too, is that they want to have continued structure to keep themselves healthy. And so hopefully this, this program, which we're going to start out as a month intensive, and then then continue it on into an ongoing process um, that will give them this, this structure if they want it. Ah, that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing for folks. It's there if they need it. And then yeah. if they need it, they need a break. It's still there. Right? right. Exactly. Exactly. That That's the ultimate goal is that we put the power in your hands. The, that also does two things though. It gives you responsibility and it gives you power. If if it was always up to other people to take care of you, which is the way the system's set up now, that you walk in, you just sit there and we do stuff to you. Yeah. There's it's very disempowering in a lot of ways, but it's and it's also not true because our health is really in our hands. Our mental well-being is in our hands. Our life is in our hands. So we may trick ourselves into thinking that it's up to somebody else to do these things for us. But in the end of the day, it's all up to us. Really? Yeah. yeah. There's that's a powerful statement that it, it is. It kind of gives it back. It is. Yeah. It, you can it can be a hopeless island if you you know get this this diagnosis and you know, I've seen friends and family go through this and it is it's one of those where it can be lonely and out of control and um, who's who's pushing the brakes here? <laughs> Let's step away for a moment to hear from our sponsor, Standard Imaging. With more than 30 years of dedication to good physics, Standard Imaging offers world-class QA solutions, unbeatable implementation support, and customer-centric development practices to ensure your priorities drive our ambitions. Stay up to date with the latest in news and releases by following Standard Imaging on LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and of course, our regularly updated website, standardimaging.com, where you'll find information about our portfolio of QA solutions, access customer care, or contact your regional account manager. We look forward to working with you and your team very soon. Let's step back into today's podcast. So to give, to give the power back to the patients and then extend that power into the hands of your team, um, what an effort. Monumental. It is. And uh, it's, it's really important what you said, too, because it is a cultural thing, too. Because I find, because I work all over the place, I cover so many places, rural, suburban, urban, big city, small city. I do find that there is a difference in that there's two ways things go now. If you go to, like I work in LA, a lot of times patients will come in with their own research and they're not trained to look at it. So they'll start telling me what they think things should, the way things should be. And I was like, well, I went to school a long 26 years to learn this. And, you know, maybe I I should maybe give you the advice in this one, right? Just because you, you know, that's why you're here. Um, So there's that. And then there's the other side where, I'll tell you an example. I was I was working up in in uh, central central coast, which is where a lot of the uh, farms are. And a very hardworking farmer came in, and I I mistakenly said I was trying to say sixteen treatments, and I said sixteen weeks instead. And he goes, "Okay, sixteen weeks, five days a week, okay." And he was like, "I was like, 
whoa, okay, you just took that? No, you should have questioned that. Like, right, what are you talking about? 16 weeks of radiation, five days a week. He's accepted it probably because he's a farmer and he's like, yeah, well, okay, that's what it's going to take. He was into it. Uh, but there's times where we have to be somewhere in the middle, right? We have to be an advocate for ourselves, but also need to know when someone is an expert as well, right? It's true. So there's both extremes and yeah. we need to be somewhere in the middle. It makes sense. It does. It does. There's, I, in my encounters with patients in the clinic, from a therapist perspective, you had those that wanted to know everything about everything. What's that tool? What are you doing? Why is this laser on? Why is it so loud in here? Why is it so quiet in here? Um, then you'd have the other ones. I don't want to know my diagnosis. I don't want to know right. what you're doing. I don't want to know right. your name. Just do your thing and then show me the door. You know, yeah. so there's a, there's a yeah. spectrum of folks, but with a self-guided program to get yeah. through. You could take advantage of the parts that you need. And then yeah. if you don't need all of it, then okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a really good point. We will be having live, you know, live coaching as well once a week. So people who want that more interaction can do it that way as well. Mm-hmm. They can just watch a recording of it. So it's going to be as you want it. It can be as intense and in-depth as you want it. And you're right. Beautiful. That's something I was I observed as well. Is like I I would I would actually teach some of this stuff right in the clinic. You know, we don't get reimbursed for it or anything, but because I do find it to be so important, I'll teach patients right in the room. I'll teach them meditation. I'll teach them breathing techniques. I'll teach them exercises even. Um, and sometimes when I'll be teaching, I'll realize that they don't want it. Right? They they're not. That's not where they are. Just kind of like what you said in your example, the second. Second patient doesn't, they just want the, this thing to happen to them and they'll leave and go back to their life. And initially I would be like, no, you need to, you need to do that. And then I'd realize, okay. oh yeah, that's not, that's not up to me though. That part's up to them. I, I looked into a lot of literature on how people change and why people change. Cause that was so perplexing to me. Why would you have this cancer and not want to do everything you could and, and learn more about why, you know, and I realized in the literature though, they found that the only thing you can do to help people change is to give them information, is to educate them. That's all you can do. You can't force someone to change. And if you've been in any kind of relationship where you're the one trying to get someone to do something simple as wash the dishes, you know it doesn't happen unless they choose to, right? Or it's a battle and they become resentful. So in reality, that's what I've learned over the last 15, 20 years is that uh, even though I have this knowledge and I have this passion to help people reduce their occurrence rates and become healthier, it's not up to me. If you're not going to eat a salad, we can't get into the other stuff, right? You got to start somewhere simple. And if you don't even want to do that, then that's okay too. It's your yeah. life. It's your life. The healing process is unique for everybody, I feel like. Exactly. But putting the stepping stones there in place um, and offering that, it, it's just an amazing gift. Thank you. We appreciate it. And I know our listeners do too. And I know your patients do too. Your patients have to love you. <laughs> well, usually, you know, I'll tell you what's funny. They always, sometimes they'll say, it's like, where did you learn how to listen? What medical school did you go to? And I was like, oh, I didn't learn that from medical school. I learned that because I went my acting class. And so it's either, oh, that's awesome. Or they're like, oh, you're an actor. And then they'll go look me up or they'll be like, oh, you're a doctor too. So I get a whole sort of, Jumble, but when they are into me, they're 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 definitely appreciating the fact that I you know, empathize a lot. 
I love that. And that's a great segue to the next set of questions I have for you. I'm so grateful for your program. And I love that too. You've got such an interesting and intriguing backstory. Um, yeah, you are an actor and I've looked up your, your you know, IMDP page, uh, you know, and, and uh-huh. seen your repertoire of work. Can I ask how your work as an actor impacts your work as a physician and vice versa? Yes, thanks. That's a great, that's a great question. People are often surprised I can do both, but they actually make me better at each of them makes them back better at the other. So the first way is what I just said from as a doctor, I think I was incomplete uh, when it first started out because I wasn't able to sit there and actually empathize with what the person was going through in front of me. And as an actor, when you're doing a scene, if you can't put yourself into the situation that the character is in, you're going to be playing at the emotion and that will come through in the performance. So I found quickly when I was training for acting that I, I had blocked certain parts of myself. And for example, like I, I sometimes where I would need to be angry, I would start crying because I had so much stuff blocked up inside of me. Initially, I would, a tears would come out and I, I went to my coach. I said, why am I crying? I'm supposed to be angry here. He's like, well, you have other stuff in the way. You can't even access that. You need to go to therapy. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm in LA. I have to do therapy, of course, right? No, but actually, I I really did. I had a lot of work I needed to do emotionally. So that uh, I did that work. And then uh, through acting, though, I found that I needed to heal some of this trauma that I experienced when I was a kid, when I was younger. So I did that work myself, which is why I'm such a big advocate for for trauma-informed care and, and, and actually looking at that aspect of each of ourselves because one out of three people have experienced some sort of childhood trauma. So that's like literally 33% of the people that you encounter in your life that have it and they haven't done anything about it, right? Mm-hmm. So knowing that bring, gives me the fact that I empathize because of my training, but also that I have compassion that everybody in front of me probably has some other things they're dealing with has made it a lot easier for me to be a physician because they may be having a bad day for any known reason. And it's up to me to find that compassion so I can come from a understanding place, whether it's a patient or a colleague or a therapist or the front desk person or whoever it is. Um, so it's been really helpful in that way. In terms of medicine acting, helping my acting, well, right now the actors and writers are on strike. So nobody's making any money acting right now. So me being a doctor has been really helpful in that way. It's been helpful to give me, um, you know, financial security, but also it's helped me because it gave me a work ethic mm-hmm. and I, and I don't mind hard work. I don't mind preparing. I don't mind doing a lot of things that actors don't like to do. So I have that in my corner where I'll, I don't mind preparing for hours for, for acting. In fact, mm-hmm. I like it. And so that comes from medicine, right? So that yeah. they've, they've complimented each other. And um, that's, I think, basically the answer there. That's fantastic. I, I'm curious one thing, though, because I know um, my outside activities often affect my work. And mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, how do you transition from the headspace of playing a role back into Dr. Vangtama? That's, a, that's amazing. Uh, I think it, it, it's actually a really easy transition because it's almost like a warm-up. Because... Okay. Being an actor really is is experiencing situations through your own instrument, through your own emotions. 
So it clears me out of a lot of stuff. It almost like is a, is pre-therapy. So when I come into the clinic, if I've just been acting, doing stuff, I'm really open. I'm really able to be present because wow. that's really what acting is. So a lot of times I think that I've seen from my friends that are not pursuing anything creative, they tend to get very structured or blocked and, and get, very, get very narrow and rigid in the way they approach things. And, and we got a lot of physicists listening, so I know you understand about protocols and systems and, and which yeah. way you know, the algorithm is supposed to go. But in human relations, there, there is no algorithm a lot of times. There's just the, the moment. And going moment to moment is really important. So that transition phase actually is really easy for me. It actually helps me because I'm trained in all the processes, right? Most of that stuff we can look up nowadays. We don't even need to know it in our heads. What we right. need to know is how the moment works. Uh, that was something I was going to say. I think every physicist should take an improvisation class because guess what? There are no algorithms. You have to deal with every moment to moment. Even though you may, you may not be good at it when you first start, you're going to find a place in yourself that's going to pull you away from that extreme of protocol-driven behavior and thought into a space that's that's definitely without rules. Mm -hmm. And um, my one coach said to me, she goes, Roy, you're planning out all your scenes. I was what are you talking about? She's like, all your emotions, all your moments, everything, you're planning it all out. I'm like, well, yeah. She goes, well, creativity is in the unknown. Unknown is the creative space. And I go, well, I don't like the unknown. She's like, I know you don't because you're a doctor. She goes, but in acting, you need to live in the unknown. And you need to let the emotion come to you. And I was like, well, what if it doesn't come? She's like, it will. You just have to be in the moment. But if you're in your head all the time, you can't experience the moment because you're in your head. You're not in your heart. You're not in a space that takes in the moment. You're planning everything out. And as it's happening, you're in the next moment already. So I think, I think a lot of science people are like that. We're constantly in the next moment. While this moment's on, we're in the next moment. Oh, yeah. It's well, because yeah. how terrifying to not have a plan about what might come next, whether it be it something's going right or something's going wrong. We feel like we need to be able to predict and preemptively act on those things. So I can imagine stepping into the present and stepping into a place of, uh, of an acting class where you have no clue what, you know, you're supposed to remain a blank slate with no yes. past or present or future. I guess only present, maybe. Yeah. Um, that yeah. could be a terrifying space. Yeah, improv is that space. There is no, it's even more, uh, more moment to moment than any kind of scene work or scene study because in those moments you are coming from a moment before and you're entering some other moment. So a lot of times you do have, you're already preset with something else inside of you. But improvisation, nope, you have nothing. You're rolling in and it's, you're saying yes and to this situation. That's what they say. They say yes and in your mind. Everything that comes is a yes, it's not a no. Oh, I'm a dog, you know, a wet dog on the floor. Okay, you know, that's what I'm doing. So then can you do that? Can you step into that moment? I can I can hear some of our listeners cringing at the idea of <laughs> taking an improv class and and portray, portraying a wet dog on the floor. But right. But there's something so there has to be something so healing about being freed of all the structure that our field lands us in. There's very specific policies and protocols, procedures from six o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night. Every minute is scheduled. Everything is designed, uh, tested laboriously. And you get to this space where you, the creative takes over. Um, wow, that's an amazing suggestion too. 
Yeah, it, it really, if you look at I look at a physicist's life, a lot of times they're coming on the weekends, they're taking yeah. their lunches, they're staying after late, and they don't get any credit for it. So no. I, I say you give yourself the credit, do something for yourself and, and, and find some time. Because in reality, you spent decades being a physicist. If you take an improv class or acting class or something like that, you're not coming very far from that extreme. You're only coming back into the middle a little bit. So don't be too afraid that you're going to become some kind of, you know, so one of my friends said, well, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen? I'm like, what do you think? You're going to go live in a jungle? No, you're going to, you're going yeah, to acting just... class for like, you're going to go live in, you're going to an acting class once a week for a few hours and it's going to make you feel good because you're going to come 5% over from your super extreme position. You know, you're never, you're never going to make it over into this other extreme which is kind of the black and white of a, of, of a science person, right? You're either mm-hmm. this or that, yeah. but the unknown is in this middle and you'll come just a little bit over. You'll come a little tiny, tiny bit over, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Fabulous suggestion. So, so many ways to approach life from a way, uh, from a place of health and healing and wellness and, and creativity. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a pleasure. Um, I know I've chewed up a good portion of your your afternoon or evening here. Um, but before we wrap up, I wanted to pick your brain about just a couple more things. Sure. Um, given your level of experience and and everything you've been through, the journey you've you've kind of already traversed, for you at the beginning of your journey, or for someone currently entering the space of healthcare, what piece of advice might you offer them uh, to carry them through the through their struggles? Good question. I think the main thing I would say to people is to honor what's true to yourself, honor that you need, that your goal is to be happy. Your goal is to reduce suffering for yourself and everybody around you. If your goal turns to be from that to making the most money you can or or achieving this thing Remember that every hundred years, every single person on this planet is gone. Your your cards are written as soon as you're born that you're going to die. So having these goals that live outside yourself, it's it's false. We work for 40 years, 40, 50 years max, you know, in our lives. So I say at the beginning of the journey, find that thing that you're passionate about. Do that thing. Find it within what you're doing. Because even me, when I was doctor in the beginning, before I was acting, I wasn't happy with myself until I found that space going through acting and through therapy and those things and finding that space for myself that was authentic. I I wasn't going to continue being doctor, I don't think. Uh, Now I find it within medicine. I find ways to impact people and, and, and use all my talents and gifts that God gave me to, to help people and, and, and feel good about myself at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Really, because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to, we're trying to feel good, and we're trying to reduce suffering for ourselves and others. So that's what I would say for some of the beginning: is be true to yourself, and don't ever forget it. And check in at the end of your day to make sure you're doing. You did today what you were, what you thought you're going to do, and if you didn't do so well today, then you'll do better tomorrow. Sound advice. Sound advice for <laughs> sure. And and I'll I'll switch the table around a little bit. And give you one last question here. What piece of advice might you have for the other seasoned members of our field? Um, maybe who have, you know, they've been treating patients for a while. Uh, they're well along in their career. Um, what piece of advice might you offer them uh, for the months and years ahead? 
I would say it's it, it for people who have been doing this a long time. They found in the literature, especially if you watch on Netflix, there's a show called Blue Zones now. The the Blue Zone research is really powerful in one way. Having purpose, having purpose is what keeps us alive and keeps us vital. So if you've lost that purpose or you you have it, don't don't forget that that is the key. Whether you're retired or not retired, or you're working or you're not working, having purpose is the key to life. And in in Japan and Okinawa, they're called ikigai. That's your that's your reason for being, right? Mm-hmm. So having that is the most important thing. We have a culture in America of retirement. Oh, you retire from your. What are you retiring from? It's your life. You know, as my dad said, he, my dad always says to me, he says, I never worked a day in my life. I said, well, how is that possible? He said, I love what I do. It doesn't feel like work to me. So if it feels like work to you, then, then that means that the only thing that says to me when someone says I'm going to work, I actually don't say that, by the way, I don't say I'm going to work. I learned that from my dad. I never say, I say I'm going to, I'm going to doctor today. And my, my wife always, oh, you're doctoring. I'm like, yeah, so I'm acting or I'm doctoring. I don't know. I'm writing. So I'm not working. So it, it's finding that. That's an attitude though. It's to find that attitude, that space inside of us where that ikigai or that purpose is really present. And finding that on a moment-to-moment basis, I think, is the only way to do it. And if you don't have it, start looking. And trust me, the answer will come for you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Lovely things you've shared today, Dr. Vangtama. Thank you so very, sure. very much for for everything. I so appreciate your time and your bits of advice. And um, if you're okay with it, I'll include links to your website and information about your publications in the description of this episode. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, hopefully people can tune in for our, our program, Healing After You're Cured, or they can find me on Instagram or Facebook too. I'm on both. Um, my Instagram's uh, at... Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R, Roy V. And then Instagram or Facebook is just Roy Vangtama, MD. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I certainly appreciate it. I know our listeners do too. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing your next Hollywood projects along with <laughs> um, all the amazing work you're doing to help people heal uh, before, during, and after they, um, they need it. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Folks, if you're still hanging out with us, we have had an absolute blast chatting with Dr. Boy Tama, uh, expert in all things healing and wellness. And, and we certainly have appreciated his time. We've had a blast having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have a great day. <laughs>